I'm Reverend Lori Anzalotti. I think I know everybody here, but just in case. <laughs> and I'm the assistant rector here. And at the, today at Forum, we're going to be talking about our worship service for um, diverse abilities. At the end of Forum, you should hold me accountable. <laughs> and if you don't know these three things, I didn't do my job and or we need to have further conversation. You should know about our work to bring a service for diverse abilities to Holy Communion. You should know how it ties to the beloved community efforts here at Holy Communion. And you should know at least one way or up to a dozen ways that you could help this community, this worship service to grow and thrive. Okie doke. Um, I'd like to start by um, just letting you know where we have been. In November, well, it actually starts with the vestry long before this smiling face was floating around here, when they decided as a community, Holy Communion wants to make sure that we are reaching out to those who have not been well served by the church. As part of that effort, Mike knew about a program called Rhythms of Grace, which is a program within the Episcopal Church um, that is a service, a worship service, not Sunday school, but a worship service for children with autism and special needs. And then you guys hired me. And half of my job description is this, is doing the the community organizing and the work around growing this new worship service. The other half is children and youth. So I work a lot closely with Heidi Olive in the children's program and with Courtney and Angie um, on what we were calling Holy Strollers that we're now gonna call Holy Communion Pack, parents and caregivers of kids, the Holy Communion Pack, and with youth group. So I started doing a needs assessment when I began here in July, saying, is there even a need for this? We want to reach those who haven't been well served. Is it true that this group has not been well served? And it was a resounding yes. I went and spoke to organizations like Mercy Center for Autism, Easter Seals, Emmaus Homes. Um, and before I could get the question out of my mouth, is there a need for a worship? They'd be like, yes. <laughs> and then I did some further work looking at churches that are doing uh, work with folks who have special needs and realize there's definitely a need because what we're doing is different. We're offering a worship space, not just an adaptation for Sunday school of like a one-on-one -on -one helper or para to attend an existing program, but we're creating a worship service that is specifically designed to be accessible to all people. So after we got that yes in the community, it was time to start talking more about it here within Holy Communion's walls. And so it, some of you may remember in November for the All Saints Day Forum, we had intergenerational forum and we rolled out a Rhythms of Grace curriculum. We did the Bible story part. Some of you walked the balance beam, like the saints balance between God and the world. And, um, we, we experienced together this interactive way of learning, hearing scripture and responding to it. 
And then I preached on November 10th, very explicitly inviting people in to work with grace, uh, with Rhythms of Grace. And with that, about a dozen parishioners uh, said, I, I, I want to do, I want to help. I don't know what that's going to look like, but I want to help. And we have a few of them here with us this morning, and I'd like them to introduce themselves. They have grace uh, badges on that say grace gathering, which I'll explain in a minute. And um, why they are part of this work. First, Shannon and Aiden. <laughs> Hi, everyone. Um, I'm Shannon McGregor. This is Aiden. And then my husband, Robert, is also involved, but could not be here this morning. Um, Robert and I are both in the medical field, and so we've worked with a lot of different individuals with um, a variety of special needs, so that was important to us um, coming into this. And then we also have some personal experience, so Robert's older brother, who is 31 now, has autism, and um, we've just watched as he's gotten older how limited um, options are for him to be involved with people socially and particularly in a faith-based setting. So we're just very excited about this work. Thank you, Shannon. And Aiden, who comes to the meetings too. And Kia and Keaton. Good morning, my name is Kia Williams and this is my daughter, Keaton Williams. Um, Keaton is on the spectrum. When she was very little, I was attending a church in uh, La Plata, Maryland a 250-year-old church where I was quickly discerning that her giggles, wiggles, and um, outbursts were not particularly welcome. And I moved on from that church, but to, to find a program that was specifically being designed here so that any parent could come and know that they are welcome to bring their child sounded like an amazing opportunity to me. Okay, I'm gonna pass it over to Maggie. Um, so I'm Maggie Link, um, and the reason I joined was because I work for the Missouri Historical Society, which oversees the History Museum, Soldiers Memorial, and the Library and Research Center on Skinker, uh, which is where I work. And um, one of the things I do at work is I'm part of the Accessibility Committee, so um, we do all sorts of different things for exhibits and make sure that they all have accessible features. Um, we also helped to put in a sensory-friendly and nursing room at the History Museum, um, which is on the lower level. Um, and then I also sit on the audio description team, so I write and record audio descriptions for people who are blind or low vision for the different exhibits. Thank you, Maggie. So this is just a reflection of some of the folks on our team. Not everybody could be here this morning. But that was a big yes from the Holy Spirit, right? This worship community is not centered on me. <laughs> Newsflash. So the community said there's a need. Then within our own walls, there were people who said, I'll, we'll walk with you in this and help, help bring it to life. So that led me to go to Houston in mid-November. I went and I saw a Rhythms of Grace community in Houston. This is their logo and um, they, their tagline is a family worship service for all ages and abilities. Now that really piqued my interest because Rhythms of Grace is specifically designed for children. This is all ages and as Shannon just so beautifully gave witness to, there is often a big drop-off after the school years where there is no place for folks to engage in community, much uh, fewer opportunities. 
Also, we have to realize that folks with diverse abilities have, um, I love the concept of Kairos and Kronos time. Um, Kairos is God's time. They're outside of this, you do this at this age and you do this at this age. You may have a 40-year-old who is operating in spirit and mentality like a 10-year-old, but they can't come because their chronological body says 40. That didn't seem to make sense. And Houston gave vision to that as they have a diversely aged community. You can see right there, there's two of their congregants. You can see that people worship in a variety of ways and spaces. There's carpets, there's pillows. One of the ways to respond to the gospel, this particular service, um, the gospel was about building up the temple. And so they were building the temple and knocking it down. And boy, did they love knocking it down. <laughs> so me, I also met um, when I was in Houston with the missioner from the Diocese of Texas, Jason Evans. Oh, it was amazing meeting with him. Um, Mike connected me with him. And when I was there, he said, why don't you think about changing the name from Rhythms of Grace? It was like my head was a balloon and somebody had taken a pin and made it explode. I was like, what? I had never even thought of that. So when I came home, I started saying to folks, can you tell me, um, you know, here's, here's the community we're thinking about. Um, we're kind of thinking about changing the name. And without exception, this is the response I got, oh, thank goodness. The best answer I got was, oh, thank goodness. I thought it was about birth control. You know, the rhythm method. <laughs> So in our highly Catholic context of St. Louis, that's not really what we want people to think Rhythms of Grace is about. <laughs> I also got a lot of people who said I thought it was uh, music therapy or dance or... And so that led us to rethink the name. And um, we are going to be calling it within our own community Grace Gathering. And we... <laughs> Thought long and hard, didn't we, team, about the tagline last week, and I have lived into it this week and love it, um, as did vestry members and other key people like rectors. Um, so a worship service celebrating diverse abilities. So we'll be hosting Grace Gathering, a worship service celebrating diverse abilities. Um, we developed this logo with the help of Claudia Moran, the parishioner, well, not with the help of, she did it, <laughs> and gave us a number of, of, of brainstorming ideas, and this is what we settled on. It's meant to be a safe space. We're gathered, and it's a safe space. That A in the middle of grace that's different says, you know what, we don't all have to be uppercase. <laughs> and then the color scheme ties into our Holy Communion um, logo so that there's some connection between the two. And then we also developed a one-page informational flyer. So those are on your tables if you just want to pass just that around right now. Just the one-page informational flyer. And I'll give you a couple minutes to just look over it. Um, I'll kind of float on this half of the room. I've got my Grace Gathering team members over on this side of the room. So if you have questions as you look at it, let me know.
you guys are the beta test. This is the first time it's been like out in public. So that's where we've been with Grace Gathering. Do we need it in the city? Is the spirit moving within our parishioners to reach out to this population that hasn't been well served by the church? And now we're ready to hit the road. So that's where we are right now. Part of where we are too Besides, so there's two facets, the work we need to do within our own walls and the work that we'll do outside of our walls. Within our walls, it's really important, I think, um, that we understand how this work ties in with our commitment for beloved community which so closely links to the, what Mike was, you know, what we're celebrating in our worship today, the life of uh, Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King. This work is tied to the work of Dr. King, but instead of looking at racial justice, we're looking at justice around issues of ableism. So we need, we are, this is uh, straight from uh, the National Church's website and the presentation that our vestry uh, senior warden, Shirley Mensah, gave in September about our beloved community commitment. We need to tell the truth we need to proclaim the dream. We need to practice ways of love, and we need to repair the breach. How might we tell the truth? What might truth-telling look like within our own walls around issues of ableism? Any ideas? That'll be one of the questions we have for our table conversation. Yeah, Adam. Nice. I think another part of the truth is that uh, those with disabilities make us uncomfortable. Yes, Mark. Because it, here's Lori's take. Because they're a reminder of our own fragility. 
and that we are one potentially one breath away from not operating in the way that we do in this exact moment and it's scary as all get out truth telling about some of the ways our scripture um, I have a speaker that I'm dying to get in here um, and he's willing to but about how our scripture can uphold some pretty negative attitudes around disability like if you know Jesus cures and heals as if something is wrong with being blind or something is wrong with being deaf and as we know uh, very well right Warren (laughs) there's nothing wrong with being deaf it's not a brokenness Warren's wife serves as the um, priest for St. Thomas Church for the Deaf, so Emily. So we'll be, there'll be a lot, we'll be very intentionally working within our walls within this framework of beloved community. Outside our walls, we have a communication plan. Um, I worked with Hopi Jernigan, who used to be the executive director of Braverly or Magdalene House, um, and she is a communication consultant for congregations and nonprofits. And she helped me get laser focused because I got a lot of ideas. And she's like, Lori, if you don't have people and you don't have volunteers, none of your other ideas matter. And I was like, okay, okay, yes, she's right. So. Um, That is exactly where we're going to be focusing on is getting the word out um, to school districts. Um, Amanda Deemer, who joined our Grace Gathering group of visionaries last week, is really doing some thinking for me around reaching out to adult communities, veterans communities with PTSD, um, Rainbow Village, not just thinking kids, because again, It's easy to reach the kids because they're plugged into school programming. So thinking more about how to reach adults um, in a variety of age groups. So um, this is a space where I can really use help. If I call somebody at WashU, cold call, cold email, you know what that does. But if Adam says, hey, Lori, I can connect you to somebody, this is just an idea, Adam, um, to somebody at the Occupational School of Therapy, and there could be a possibility for some volunteers getting some internship you know, connection out of that. That's a totally different kind of email. So the, any types of connections that you have um, in that way would be really, really helpful. I'm going to ask you to pray and to discern this service will be on Sunday afternoons. We don't have a time set yet because we have to talk to the people who want to worship with us. What time do they want it? One, two, three, probably not later than that. Would you be willing to come twice a month and be part of a team of folks along with me that help get this set up, worship together, and help put some things away? Can you help create some materials before we launch in August, September? So I'm going to ask you to do your own thinking and discerning, or who do you know that maybe this would be a good fit for? We're going to get to questions, you know, talking at your tables. But before we do, I want to share something with you that I have noticed. In order to do our first step of beloved community, truth-telling, we absolutely have to be able to talk about people with disabilities. And what I've noticed as I've been out and around the community talking is good people are tongue-tied. They know language not to use. I won't even use some of that language that has passed out of um, 
proper usage. But even terms that used to be a-okay, like handicapped, are not. Over Christmas break, during Christmas week, because, you know, what do people do during Christmas week but catch up on reading, I read this book called About Us, and I'm um, happy to lend it to anybody. It's essays from the disability series of the New York Times. Over two years, they ran um, essays around disability. And even within these essays, the way folks refer to themselves, because everybody who wrote has some form of a disability, is different. So there is not consensus that I have seen within the, dis, uh, the community of people who are disabled around language. That makes it tough. So I printed out for you, and it's on your table, um, CDC recommend, recommendations around people-first language. So you can look at that and talk about it as part of, like, in your groups. But I want to name this as a space where we can't mess up language. Anything you say is, you can try on anything. Am I supposed to say a disabled person or a person with a disability? Am I supposed to just say, like, non-disabled? Am I, how am I supposed try on language here. And I want to give you two, two rules around it. Not rules, that's wrong. Two things to think about. One, when you are in a group with folks, use the language they use. So my own daughter, Catherine, has Williams syndrome. She's 13. And she calls herself a person with a difference. My friend who does advocacy work for Emmaus Homes and legislative advocacy for disabled folks in, in, UC, in uh, Jeff City is like, that's not the right language. We don't, like, people with a person with a difference, nope. But that's how Catherine calls herself. I'm going to call her a person with a difference. That's what she wants to be called. So always know, like, listen. Yesterday I was at L'Arche, um, which is homes for um, people with intellectual disabilities. Where did I get that language? From listening to how the L'Arche community talks about their residents. Their residents are core members who are people with intellectual disability, and their assistants are people without intellectual disability. So I knew that was the language to use there. So always listen to the person that you're engaging with. Second of all, the second thing would be to, hang on, let me get to my little note here, um, listen to some of these different trends. Like the CDC is a great place to start. Person first language. But other people say, I'm autistic, and that's core to who I am. I want to be an autistic person, not a person with autism. So free yourself from being tongue-tied around language. Any questions or comments on that before we move on? Nope. There we go. There's our person-forward language. And here's our questions for talking about at our tables. Truth-telling. What stories do you know of the church not welcoming people with disabilities? Where did, what stories do you know of places where it was welcoming and it did well? Proclaim the dream. Read the Grace Gathering flyer again. Discuss it with your table. What do you hope Grace Gathering could become as a worship community? What could it become for Holy Communion, for our region, 
And how could this repair the breach? How could this be healing work? And finally, how can you contribute your gifts to help Grace Gathering grow? You've got about 15 or 20 minutes to go through these questions. They'll stay up the whole time. I'm going to come around with some pens, too, because, like I said, you're the beta test on this Grace Gathering flyer, and I can already see a few things. I'm like, oh, that looks fine on a computer screen, but it's too little. <laughs> so if you have very, like, practical suggestions around the flyer and you want to write them on the back for consideration, um, I would be grateful for that feedback too. Okay, question and discussion. All right, friends, <clears throat> neighbors, Grace Gathering supporters, <laughs> let's come back together and hear uh, what we've been talking about at our tables. Around truth-telling, what stories do you know about where the church has not been really what it's supposed to be? Lynn, yeah, let me pass this because we're recording. Um, your face won't be seen, but your voice will be better heard. We come from a place of unawareness. We were not, una we were not aware that a lot of people with different abilities were feeling rejected by the church. You weren't aware. Correct. So, you know, from that aspect, we went to the language. We don't talk about it because we are insecure of our own, you know, inabilities to use the correct language. So, therefore, there's an avoidance, which would imply that we're rejecting, but really it's just our own... Yes. Securities. There's so much I want to affirm in what you were talking about at your table. Number one, I wasn't really aware of the ableism within like church writ large either. And when Mike started talking to me about this, I mean, almost two years ago now, uh, June of 2018, um, when I was at Eden, I started in seminary where I just graduated. For those of you who don't know, I graduated in May. I started asking much more intentionally and doing classwork tour around this kind of work. Holy cow. And then like just last week, I heard a story within our own diocese of a priest who said, hey, listen, your um, autistic son, a teenager, you need to like get care for him at home or you can't come anymore. That rector's doing some repair work a decade later. Yeah, and then around the language, one thing that I want to say is if you're tongue-tied, I think that means a lot of good things about your heart because you're sensitive to it. It's people who are like, oh, no, we're good, and those people who, that, that you're like, and I got, you're like, ooh, uh, may, may I encourage you to some reflection? You're already at the reflective space, so if you're tongue-tied, just keep thinking about it. You'll, it'll, you'll flop. You'll make mistakes. You'll need to ask for grace. That's okay. We believe in that. <laughs> Thank right. you. So, so this program, it, as far as awareness, is amazing. You know, we're just bringing it to the forefront. But Liz, Elizabeth made a point that, which I think is so interesting, and I'm going to let her talk about it. About why is there a different? Why do we need to have a different service? You know what I mean? So, I talk a lot, and I kind of feel put on the spot here. <laughs> <laughs> Never mind. Sorry. But. And see, I think I'm going to the, to the dream, really. Uh, the fact that we 
have a separate something, to me has the connotation for doing just what we don't want to do. Because we're making the statement that you're different, you're different. So the dream is with maybe starting here with the service that as people grow in their understanding and in their relationship with others, then it could move so that it is not a separate anything. It's a part of the services, and I'm saying services because I even made a third service for Holy Communion, where older people, the babies, all of us could be together. Because the things that I hear and read about you doing at this service, there's nothing that all of us could not learn from. Maybe we don't prefer to, but all ages, yes, all ages could learn from that. And ability. Yes, exclamation, yes, 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 yes. Let me, so much that you said I want to unpack a little bit. First of all, I got to be honest, when I did my needs assessment as a mother of a child with differences, as she likes to be called, I, didn't, I was like, why are we doing something separate? Like, maybe we have godly play and we have something that's a little more sensory and kinesthetic based at the same time. But that was when the vision was just for children. It has expanded so very much. And I would like to encourage all of us to think, um, I heard super clearly from Holy Communion and from Grace Gathering supporters, this is not a service for people with special needs. That is not our tagline. It's for people with diverse abilities. I have a, a different set of abilities from Keaton, that from Lynn, from Catherine, from... So the tagline intentionally is meant to call together a wide group. And think of it like 8 o'clock has a very different kind of charism than 10.30. And this is going to be a service that has a different kind of charism one that is going to allow even more movement, will have only one scripture story instead of three, will not have a classic sermon, at least at this point, because this, this is all going to be shaped by the people who come, right? Just like our other services are. If we had no choir and nobody wanted to sing, well, I guess we'd be doing something different at 1030. So um, if, if nobody at 8 o'clock ever wanted to lecture and no one was willing, I guess we would have come up with a different plan. This, as the congregants come to this service, it will take a different shape, just like our other services. So our, we, I hear what you're saying, and I think we have, are trying to build it out in, to recognize just what you're talking about. Because that, that is the dream. For right. me, I'm to the point where all of us are on this line of disabilities. Yep. So we cannot say this group with the disabilities. We're all on this continuum. Right. Um, absolutely. And um, my part of my own dreaming, you have to remember, if you heard from a priest, Tom, do not come back here because you're, the way you are is not welcome here. I mean, if you even come through these doors, your radar and your, and, like, you're going to be looking for like, where are they going to do that to me again, right? So that can be a very, hopefully, a, a comfortable space of entry. But I want our game night, our march. I'd like our advocacy work. 
like Faithful Action Group, we're going to be advocating along with, you know, Emmaus Homes in Jeff City. Like that's a long, a long-term dream too. That of a total uh, inner, you know, that that folks from that worship service feel comfortable in all the expressions of community here at Holy Communion. Okay, that was a busy table, Mark. Hang on, let me pass this. And then, Elizabeth, if you could pass that microphone to the person behind you. I think one of the things we talked about at our table in terms of truth-telling is the classic line, never believe your own publicity. Uh, While we are a very welcoming parish, it's easy enough for those of us who are privileged to sit in the chancel and look out at the Mm -hmm. congregation. And from time to time, when people with different abilities uh, are seemingly disruptive or acting in ways that we think might be inconsistent with what we believe ought to be uh, respectful behavior in the parish, people wince. Uh, People get uncomfortable. They start shuffling. They turn their heads and glare. We've got work to do as a congregation ourselves uh, to make certain that we're using this as an opportunity to grow into the dream that Elizabeth described. Thank you, Mark. That was truth-telling. But, and that's not always easy to do. Thank you. Who else? Another table? Yeah, Rudy, go ahead. Elizabeth's got the microphone for you. Um, if this is going to be your general flyer that you're going to be using, yep. I would like to see some more wording on teenagers and young adults and older generation on this. Because with my little bit of training I've had on sensitivity stuff. Um, I work in a theater in the summertime and we always have a couple places where sensitivity people will come into. And there's people that come into the building that have never been in the theater that's 50 years old. So we have to accommodate that type of thing too. So I'd like to see this in the flyer. Okay, thank you. And like I said, that's why I put pens to the table. If you have like it probably just good to write those down and put them in my hand. Um, it, I was so happy the timing turned out to beta test this with you guys. <laughs> so yeah, Michael. Um, one of the things came up here is just the, the various obstacles to something like this and obviously our lack of uh, parking, mm-hmm. uh, accessible parking, you know, the fact that, that you know, the hill coming up, I mean, that it may pose certain problems that we'll have to find ways to uh, solve. Yep, absolutely. I will let you know that I reached out, one of the very first uh, groups I reached out to was Easter Seals, and Jennifer Huey from the Easter Seals came, and I said, all right, we're under construction, and I have a feeling you're going to give us some bad news about accessibility, even though we're already under construction. And I said straight up, our parking's a mess. We know it. There is nothing we can do about it. But other than that, she said, your building's good to go. And I was like, ah! It felt like manna falling from heaven that the Easter Seal, somebody from Easter Seals who specifically works with congregations said, you're, you're looking good. But you're right. Our parking situation. One idea that came up was uh, putting together a group of volunteers that would be valet parkers. Love that idea. We jot that down on the back of the flyer. The other um, thing is, uh, we ha- I've been working with a woman named Terry Deloge, who has a 14-year-old daughter, Faith, who has epilepsy, CP, and autism. Um, Terry states that Faith um, operates around the age of a two-year-old, and 
she took her own sense of being overwhelmed and exhausted and put it into creating the synapsary, which um, works with churches and families for rest, renewal, and respite. So one of the things she suggests, I've been working with her because she's worked with other congregations on getting her input, um, is if you just have somebody meet your child at the car or your, the, the person you're caring for, maybe not a child, young adult, adult. I mean, my kids are, oh, I hope they don't watch this video. My kids are better for other people than me. Anybody else? Anybody else ex ever experienced that? So if we just have volunteers down at the Jackson door so they can get dropped off and brought in and people can park and come back up or, you know, if we're working with Rainbow Village and folks are dropped off. So yeah, that kind of creative thinking, I really appreciate. Other tables who haven't gotten a chance yet? What's the dream? What can you, what were you able to dream of? I heard Elizabeth already say that this becomes part of the fabric, your table, this becomes part of the fabric of Holy Communion. I have a dream around, you know, that we become advocates. These, you know, we care about the people who are in our community, so we're going to want to advocate for them, <laughs> with them. So as the program uh, starts to be implemented and it's up and running, uh, we'll have three services, 8 o'clock, 10.30, and whatever time the additional service is established. So it, we talked about how we can contribute, and everyone should plan to attend the services. That, you know, if you're an 8 o'clocker, well, and one person at our table said, well, you know, maybe that Sunday you don't want to get up and go at 8 o'clock, so you can come to the afternoon service. But each service should be integrated. We should integrate ourselves into each service. Thank you. Mm, you are such a, it's like we planned a segue, Chester. Yeah. <laughs> um, I'm going to hold on to Chester's comment. We'll hear from Bob and Donna. And then, unfortunately, I think I get the sense that we could talk a lot longer about this. <laughs> but 1030 service is a call-in. Another thing that we talked about in terms of the dream is, as I mentioned, I've worked for special school district for over 40 years, and I do not ever remember talking about this issue. We talked about other services and resources in the community, and I don't ever remember it coming up. And I think that as we get this started, my hope would be that other, because there's a potentially extremely large audience for this that we wouldn't be able to handle all of them. But I hope just Could like- Could that be the problem? Yes. <laughs> I, I hope just like with Laundry Love that other churches see what we're doing and then they start doing it. That is part of the work that I'm hoping to do with the Synapsary. Um, Terry and I are big dreamers. <laughs> And we're, it is our hope that this could be a pilot for liturgical models um, and for our other liturgically-based siblings in Christ. Um, we could kind of lead the way on that. So I like that dream, Donna, a lot. It, it has not been explicitly stated, but I presume that it is going to be a service of Holy Communion and not just afternoon prayer. Absolutely. It is a Eucharistic service. It has liturgy of the word um, and liturgy of the Eucharist. So that, but it is a gathering activity, like an opening gathering. So you think of a gathering song, but more of a gathering activity. 
scripture shared very much like I did in November, more of a godly play style, like much more visual, kinesthetic, tactile, with a, a response to the gospel um, through activity and movement. And then we move into a liturgy of the Eucharist that is uh, on the floor. So people can sit on chairs, people can sit on that. And that's why we included some of those pictures from Houston to try to give people that visual that you can sit on carpets, you can sit on chairs, you can, but it is liturgy of the Eucharist and then a closing. And we need musicians. I got, music is like top of my figuring out list. Brian, and then we'll wrap up. All right. I don't mean any offense to the clergy in the room, of course, but the, uh, while the worship liturgy is very valuable, I hope we can also layer in other components to make it a community, other activities outside of the Eucharist and outside of the, the formal service, conversations like this and interactions with the families and the caregivers beyond the uh, start and end of the, the religious service. And I don't think we've thought that through quite as far yet, but I'm sure that will be a critical component to keep the momentum going. Right. I think there, oh, Angie, I, I, I see it as sort of analogous to Holy Communion Pack, parents and caregivers of kids. That was, that was actually something that we discussed, or that I discussed at the table, is that I would hope that as we grow this, that we find a way to kind of integrate, and as we kind of build kind of this beloved community and we all interact, that we can take some of these items that we, or things that we learn about in this third service, and integrate those accommodations into our activities for Holy Communion Pack, and find a way to build that community and strengthen that bond. Right. When, when we started, we created a welcoming environment for young families. We have children toddling all over this place now. And so then the community itself said, hey, we need more chances to get together and to think about how to parent and how to raise families in, following in the footsteps of Jesus. So let's put together a Holy Communion pack. And I assume the same things will happen. Okay. Okay, I keep saying just one more, but really this is it, because Mike will start without me. Absolutely. Kia, Keaton, Maggie, how are you feeling after this? We've been together as a small community. How are you feeling now with, uh, after this discussion with the bigger community? Any thoughts? Shannon, any closing thoughts? Thank you for being willing to work on this as a community. Shannon said yes, Elizabeth. around Gary's gathering has a new me or that shape has a new meaning I am going to ask everybody in this room to do something for grace gathering everybody can do it as a one step and then if you can take a second or a third or a fourth great on your table are prayer cards 
please take a prayer card, put it somewhere with your toothbrush, if you brush your teeth every day, with your coffee, if you drink coffee every day, in your car, and pray this prayer. And we'll pray it together before we adjourn. So please pray for Grace Gathering and for those who are going to be called to serve it. And let me know the other things you can do. Who can you help me reach out to? Who can you reach out to on your own? I can, I've slotted about two meetings a week. So that means in one month I can get eight to ten meetings in. If you take a meeting or two, well, we just really increased the outreach, right? You don't need to be an expert. You just need to talk to people and say, hey, can I set a little time aside to tell you what my church is doing? And if they need further information or deeper, you know, they can reach out to me. That'd be great. Um, I hope I kept my promise. Do you know more about Grace Gathering? Do you know how it ties to beloved community? Do you know one way that you can assist growing this community? Great. If you wrote on your sheets with uh, some ideas or feedback, please place them in my hands. And let's adjourn with our Grace Gathering prayer. Grab your card and we can read together. God of all creation, let those of diverse abilities who long to experience you in a worship community find Grace Gathering, that they may grow and rest in you. Amen. Ooh, I'm not going to sleep tonight. I'm so excited. Thank you, guys.